0: Listen, it's really cool to be with you. My name is Chris. I'm part of the, um, I'm part of the teaching team at New City Church. And so, um, man, can I just congratulate you guys for a little bit or just applaud you? Um, I, I, I've seen some of the numbers that you guys are kind of running, and, and you're, you're running over 10% of the population of Edgerton, right? And, and yeah, it's pretty cool. So anytime that you start running 10% of your population, you become sort of an influencer of, of the population. Right, and so good and bad can come from that. Right, right now it's all good, and so we keep it that way. Yeah, and so in order for me to help you keep it that way, like my my role is to always preach towards your joy. All right, so it's always to preach towards your joy. So it doesn't always seem like it's going to be happiness that comes out, right? But it, it will form you into the image of Christ, and so that's kind of my role. It's not to tickle your ears or to um, make you feel good, although I think Jesus does do that, Man, my, my hope is to preach you into the formation of who Jesus Christ has made you to be. Does that sound good? All right, so before we get started, um, I've had a couple people ask me about Rachel, and uh, if you guys don't know my story or our story, like Rachel was diagnosed, my wife, she's um, my age, I'm not <laughs> going to tell you how old she was, but I'm, But last summer she was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of ovarian cancer. And so they Called us, brought us in from our. We were on vacation actually at the time, and she, we put her on a plane and flew back. And she would um, have surgery the following week, and then she would start chemotherapy, which would take us all the way till um, November of this year. And so we were hoping that that was going to be enough. And uh, but because of her cancer as a kind of an aggressive form, her surgeon wanted to open her back up in January to see if it was still in there, to see if it continued to grow despite giving chemotherapy. And much to our dismay. Um, it had continued to move there and so that was a pretty disheartening thing for us as you can imagine on January the 15th that's when they came out and told us that and so we started chemotherapy again but a different form and so um, on Thursdays we go to chemotherapy from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon Um, we just started and uh, we made one treatment before her blood counts dropped too low for her to go back for the second one and so we're kind of in a fight there and so we would continue man to ask for you guys to pray for her like, we want to see a miracle happen there, and uh, man, we're we're just walking in that Jesus is the Lord of it all. She'll be here at the 11 o'clock service. She, the, the good thing about this chemo is it doesn't make her feel bad, so we don't know if she's not feeling good until we get there, and they draw our blood, and then they send us home. Um, but she feels good, like her energy's not low, and so she comes, and she travels, and she's hanging out with us, and so she'll be here at 11 o'clock, and she's got a fuzzy little hair, of gray hair, and so feel free to rub it. She loves that. She loves that, so... But, um, but yeah, so I just wanted to kind of pull you up to speed on that. One thing that that's caused in us, honestly, like, it, like we're using this word called eternality, all right? So to kind of tell you where it came from in our, in our Shawnee campus, just to be honest with you, like we, we had a guy that they kind of removed from like a ministry standpoint a little bit and it hurt his feelings, and, and so we wanted to make sure that that, that relationship stayed good, all right? And, and here's why. Is because if you are born again, all right, like if you put Jesus on as your savior, you live forever with other people who have done the same. Yeah. So, so think clearly, like let's say that both of you die and there's problems here on the earth, you go to heaven and then what happens? The Lord pulls you in a room and spanks you both because you won't reconcile? I don't know. But that's what we're thinking about. Like think about the eternality of each other. Like I think about the eternality of my wife. Like, whatever happens on this planet, she's living forever. Like, she put Christ on, and she's living forever. I put Christ on about 15 years ago, and so I'm living forever. And so whatever happens on this planet, it's never goodbye, it's just see you later, all right? It has made us even more bold in the way that we operate, right? Like, you can imagine, like, if you've been through this, then you know that every moment of your day counts. Like, where you spend your time who you spend it with, like what's the use of watching TV, like all that stuff starts playing through your head, right? And so we're like, man, so, so today when I teach, just know that I'm preaching towards your eternality, all right? Preaching towards the fact that you will not die, all right? And that's got good and bad consequences to it. Does that make sense? All right? And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you one scripture, and then I want us to pray through it, All right? Matthew chapter 11, sower of the seed. You don't have to turn there, but here's kind of how it plays out. When the word is preached, all right? So when this word is preached, one of four things is going to happen. Either A, you won't hear a word of it, all right? That's step one. Step two is you hear it, you receive it, And then you go home and watch something else and forget all about it. All right? Step three on the peril of the sower is you hear it, it stays with you for two or three days, you get fired up, and then it's done again. Lord likens that to you can't, can't, the world chokes you out, right? Or sample four, you hear it, it roots in you, and it produces fruit. Yeah? And so, man, you always get to decide that. All the time. You get to decide, man, what what kind of soil are you? And so I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to make you soil that's number four. Is that cool? All right. So Jesus, Lord, I would just sit with you for a moment and just beg you, like, Lord, that if you would let me contend for their souls, that, Father, you would make them soil that sits in number four. God, that they would hear your word and they would bury it deep in them and then when it was time for it to come out, that it would produce fruit, that it would last forever. Like, Lord, they would not be burned up by the sun. It wouldn't fall on a path. that wouldn't receive it. And, Lord, that it would not be snatched by the evil one. But, Lord, that it would root in them. So, Father, you're the only one that can do that. Your spirit and their cooperation is, so Lord, I would ask that in the name of your son that you would do this in this house. Everyone in the house said, amen, amen, all right, you ready to get in the word, yeah. amen. Okay, so we're kind of topical preaching today, I think it's a good place to topical preach, if you're going to topical preach, I think this is a great place to topical preach, all right, and so um, we're in this series called The Last Words of Jesus, and so today, we guess where, we're at the thief, right, on the cross, anybody ever heard of that story, the thief on the cross? All right. Most of you haven't? Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So it'll be new to you. So here's the thing. Like if you were to go home today and you were to Google the thief on the cross, all right, the first thing you're going to find always is somebody challenging the thief on the cross, all right? Because here's what's going on in America. There's a lot of kids who have walked away from God, their parents have walked away from God, and they're living in the basement and they're blogging, right? Right? And so without really doing any research, like they're telling you why this stuff is bogus, all right? So for instance, on the thief on the cross, we find him in all four Gospels, right? In Matthew, it says that both of them hurled insults, insults at the Lord, okay? In Luke, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, it says that both of them hurled insults at the Lord. In Luke, it says one of them gave his life to Christ. And in John doesn't say anything about them except for the Lord was crucified between them, right? And so if you're an atheist or agnostic blogger, immediately you're like, none of these even make sense. The, the first two said that they hurled insults. One guy gives his life to Christ, and the last one doesn't even mention them, right? And so what's true here? Like, what's a true picture of this? Who's telling you the truth? Is the gospel telling you the truth, or is the blogger telling you the truth? Because they're all giving different accounts of this story. And I'm going to kind of walk with you today to show you that yes, they are all true. Like at some level, we know that the Lord had insults hurled on him from both of these guys. And we know that one of them quit. Right? Here's the other part they'll tell you. A common thief, right? That's what they're called. Criminals, thieves on the cross. In Roman law, for being a common thief, you didn't get executed for being a thief. Like that, like Rome was harsh, but it was harsh against you going up against the Pax Romana, like against going up against peace. So like if you start some kind of problem and you get inside a crowd, then you really get it stuck to you. But if you're just a common thief, they're not going to crucify you for this. Like they weren't that bad. And here's here's the story. That atheist blogger would tell you the truth. Like that's an accurate story. And so, how does this make sense then, right? Like, how does this make sense? Because it says that two thieves were crucified next to Jesus. And knowing that you don't get crucified for being a common thief, there comes a problem, right? Are you in with me? Okay. And so, we sit through the authority of the word. And so, the easiest thing for you to do is you can go online and you can read this in Greek if you want to, right? Now you won't understand it, but if you click on the word in Greek, it'll give you what it means and all the words in our vocabulary for it so here's this true story. These guys are actually smarter than you and I like they they've got a better vocabulary than you and I do, and so when they have a word, we have a word cloud all right Does that make sense and so so when when they give us a word right and for instance, the word they use in this one, let me see if I can pronounce it correctly it's called kargugas so it's pronounced k-a-r-k-o-o-g-a-s that's their word for criminal or thief all right but in their language it meant doer of evil all right so it means doer of evil and so when the translators are translating this they're like okay so i'm going to put in the word criminal or thief when it doesn't really tell the full picture all right and so historically these thieves both have names all right, you can look them up. Historically, one's name is Gestas, G-E-S-T-A-S. The other one's name is um, let me see if I can find it again, Dismas, D-I-S-M-A-S. All right, Dismas is the one known as the penitent thief. He's the one we're going to talk about today. All right, the other one, Gestas, G-E-S-T-A-S. He was a bad dude. Not a lot of history on Desmas, but on Gestas. He did something so horrific that if there weren't kids in here, I would tell you, but I'm not going to, all right? Both of these men were tried. Our court system came from Rome. So they had an entire jury. These men walk in. They got a group of their peers. They try them. They say, both of you men are worthy of death because of what you've done. And I'll tell you, if I, tell you, if I was to tell you what they did, what Gestus did, you would say, put him in the electric chair tomorrow. It's horrific. This dude, they weren't common thieves. They were doers of evil who had committed murder, right? But in a most heinous way. Are, are you tracking with me? All right. And so my, my thing to you is this, as we get into this story is, it is like when your faith gets tested, the first thing people do is they usually go Google it. But be careful what you're Googling. Because a lot of it's just an atheist blog, right? Your best way to defend yourself against the word is to actually go into, like, BibleHub.org, look at it in its original translation, and say, how does this fit, right? You with me still? Okay, so we're going to get into this story now, all right? We're going to track Dismas' life, all right? So I'm going to teach out of Luke. I'm going to read you the story. Then we're going to back up a few hours. All right. So, Luke chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 36. It says, The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting for our deeds. Deserve this. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he says to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. All right? So let's just pause here. We're on the cross. Gestus on one side, Desmus on the other. Gestus starts hurling these insults. Desmus stops him and says, hold up a minute, bro. Like, don't you see there's something different about him? Like, I'm not going to let you keep yelling at him. Don't you see something's different about him? Now, what happened? Because we know that at some level, Desmus was hurling insults at him to begin with. All right? So let's walk in this. I'm going to back you up. We think the Lord was crucified around 9 a.m. We think he died around 3 p.m., meaning he hung on the cross for six hours. Historically, they broke the legs of these other two guys about two hours later when the the, um, earthquake came. All right? Prior to Christ, going to the cross. All right? Let's start there. The night before, let's peg it at 9 o'clock. Jesus is in the garden praying. He's under intense anguish, right? You would be too if you knew it was coming for you, all right? Like if you knew your back was not going to have any skin on it when they were done with you, if you knew they were going to beat you so badly that they wouldn't be able to recognize you, if if you knew that thorns were going to be pushed, that they actually went into your scalp, and if you knew that you are going to have nails stuck in your hands, like you would be praying in anguish too, right? Anybody not do that? I think we would all do that, correct? And so, here's the story. So, they come, they arrest him from there. They take him to the high priest and the high priest's son-in-law, Annas and Caiaphas. It tells us, through the text, that when he answers certain ways, they punch him in the face. All right? Now, this is all going to be done from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. Okay? We're talking 12 hours. So, every time that he answers the wrong way, they punch him in the face and they decide what? We're going to kill him. And so they track him through the middle of the night, where? To the governor's house. And they get Pilate up out of bed. And they're like, we want this man condemned to death. And Pilate's like, for what? Like, for what? And so because Pilate can't find anything wrong with him, he's like, I'm going to send you over to Herod's house. So they send Jesus over to Herod. Still, we're in the middle of the night here. So now they go to Herod's house. Right? Just a different form of a governor there. And Herod says through the text that he's excited to see Jesus because he wants to see some miracles done. Now think clearly through this. Herod had just beheaded John the Baptist a few months earlier. John the Baptist and Jesus were what? First cousins? And so now you're Jesus and you're standing right in front of Herod. And Herod's wanting you to do all these tricks for you. And you're knowing you're standing in front of the guy who just murdered your cousin because a stripper asked him to. Jesus doesn't respond. Through the text, what's it say? It says that Herod had his men of war beat Jesus. All right? So now Jesus gets beat up again. However long they spend beating him up, probably doesn't take long when you have men of war. right? So now Herod sends him back to Pilate all through the middle of the night again, and Pilate's there. And he's like, dude, there's still, what do you want me to do with this guy? Now let's think clearly here. Tomorrow morning, they're going to execute two, three people already. Gestus, Dismas, and Barabbas. They're already ready to go. So if you're fixing to be executed the next day, what are you doing? You think you're sleeping much? You're up all night long. And so when the whole Sanhedrin walks through and they start yelling at Pilate to crucify this guy, who do you think's listening? Barabbas? Desmos? Anybody who's on death row, right? And so Pilate's like, listen, there's nothing wrong with this guy. Like, I'm not going to kill him for you. And they're like, if you don't kill him, you're no friend of Caesar. And so Pilate comes up with this great idea. He says, you know what? I'll flog the fire out of him. And when I'm done with him, I'll show him to him. And then they'll relent, right? So they lead Jesus away, right by the prison. They chain him up, and they start flogging him. Jesus is yelling, who's listening? Barabbas, Desmus, Gestus. Along with all the Sanhedrin, and along with the weeping women, Like they're watching and listening to Jesus scream out. So who knows how long this goes on, but we're still in this 12-hour period. So they finish with Jesus. He's not dead. They bring him back up to Pilate. Pilate's like, surely they're not going to want him to be crucified after this. And what does the Sanhedrin say? It says they incite the crowd. And everybody starts yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That's the story. Who's listening to this? Everybody's going to be crucified the next day on death row. So Pilate has this great idea. He's like, man, because I got these three guys on death row, I'm going to pull the worst one out. I'm going to pull the worst one of these three out. And so I'm going to bring Barabbas out. And I'm going to show them that I'm not going to crucify this guy. Because surely they're not going to pick Barabbas, right? So think on this. They're all on death row. The prisoner guards come in. Desmus, Gestus is both there. They unchain Barabbas, and they bring him out. And probably in their head, what they're thinking is, they're thinking, man, they're probably going to go ahead and take this dude first because he's the worst of all of us here. Like, we've all done some pretty heinous things, but they're probably taking him out because he's the worst of all of us. And so they, they listen in for what's going on, and Pilate comes up and he says, Jesus, will you not speak? He's like, I'm not going to speak. And he says, Don't you know that I have the power to kill you or to set you free? And Jesus responds to him and he says, Listen, you got no power over me. Unless we gave it to you from heaven, you don't have anything over us. And so they bring Barabbas out. Pilate sits in the judgment chair. They rip Jesus' clothes off. They bring Barabbas right beside. You know a funny twist of this? Barabbas' name is translated Son of Man, lowercase. And Pilate's like, surely they will pick the right one. And here's the deal. We said, us in this room, give us the wrong one. when the Jews crowd out, let his blood be on us and our children, they're talking about everyone in this room. Desmos is listening to all of this. He's like, what the heck? And so they free Barabbas. Well, guess where Jesus has to go while they get his cross ready? Death row. They will him in a death row, he's almost dead as it is, and puts him on the same cell block as Gestus and Desmos. And so if you could imagine, like if I was to tell you what they had done, their hearts are black as stone. Like these are some cold men. And now to heap on this, they're like, listen, this dude's worse than us and he gets to go free? Like how does this work in a free world? How does this work in a fair world? Like Barabbas is free. You bring back in this joker who won't even talk. And I guarantee you, at some level, this is probably where they hurled the insults. And they're like, you were a fool not to speak. He goes, look at your silly self now, Jesus. Are you tracking the story with me? So the guards come back in. They get Jesus. They get Gestus. They get Dismas. And they're walking down, because they got to get them out of town. Nobody gets crucified in town. Everybody gets crucified outside of town. And so they're, they're walking them downtown. And as they do this, like they witness everything that Jesus says. They have to. They're right there. So every time that they hit him, every time that he talks to the women, like every word that he says, they watch. And they think he's a fool for it until I think something changes here. They're all thrown down. Now, the two guys on the left didn't get nailed to the cross because they wanted them to suffocate. They wanted crucifixion to last as long as possible. But because Jesus was near death anyway, they just nailed him to it. So, guest is on one side, strung to the cross, Desmus on the other. And as they're putting the nails in Jesus' hands, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Who hears that? It says the crowd hears it, including Desmos. So they string them up. They're halfway hanging in there. I mean, I can just see it. Like, Gestus just decides, like, his heart's so black. He just says, save yourself. You're so great. Save yourself. Save us. Like, you're so awesome. And then Desmus over here, something clicks for him. Like, it clicks. I I can just imagine him looking up, and he sees the face of Jesus all beat up, and right above Jesus' head, what does it say? This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And it snaps for him. And somewhere along the line for him, he, he comes full circle. And he realizes that, man, like this is the king of the kings. This is the Lord of the lords. And that's why he says, he's like, listen, we deserve everything we're getting. But he hasn't done anything for this. Lord, will you remember me? Lord, will you remember me? Like in this moment, he decides to put his faith in Jesus. Like he puts his life there. Now, let me tell you what I see in ministry all the time is there's a lot of people who love Jesus and like him but have never put their faith in him. Like their lives do not trust him for anything. And I would tell you that they're as far away from him as Gesta is. They're as far away from that. And so in this moment, everything shifts for him. And, And you get this question in our theology all the time. You're like, how in the world can 30 40, 50 years of black sin, of a dark soul come clean in a split second. And I will tell you, I am living proof, and so is this guy, that it happens all the time. It's what he does. Like in a moment, like in a flash, everything that you've done is wiped away. Now, let me ask you this question. Jesus is Lord of all things. Are we we on board with that at some level? So put it like this. We know from John 1 that Jesus was around when the world was created. All right? If if you don't know that, you do now. All right? He was around when the world was created. He was around when Pilate was born. That's why he tells Pilate, you have no authority over me except for me and the Father gave you because we created you. We also know in Revelations that he's the one who breaks the world. Like he says, he comes back, and by the sword of his mouth, everything's over. Like in your mind, we may think that there's this big war on Megiddo Plain, and that's not how it works at all. Jesus comes back, he opens his mouth, and it's done. Like it's over with, just by the words of his mouth saying, I am, and it's finished. And so in this story, he ordains all steps. We know this from Ephesians 1. Like he ordains all steps. So in this story, he ordains his last final waking moments to be friends with who? Desmos. He set him up. His last companion on the earth. A doer of evil. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Because if the Lord's going to associate with him, then you know he's going to associate with you. Like if he's going to be a friend to this man, he's going to be a friend to you. So ask yourself, what do you have that you offer the Lord? Like how much better is the Lord because he knows you? Like what do we give him that he needs? But yet he comes for us all the time. He picks his last companion on earth to be the worst of the worst. And that's why I love him, because I know, like, he did well in choosing some of us to be saved, because he found the most manure in us, right? He found the most manure in us, which then produced the biggest crop. Like, it's what he does. Now, let's take this even a step further. So Jesus' response to him is like, today... Today, you will be with me in paradise, all right? So just speaking out loud, like, like we know at some level, like the Lord descended down into the depths, and then he went to heaven like in a flash of light, and the gates of heaven came open, right? Up until this moment, there were angels with flaming swords that were keeping you away from God. Like that's how it worked. But on this day, all that ends, right? And so picture this. Desmas wakes up at the gates of hell on that morning. And by that evening, he's standing at the gates of heaven. It's awesome. Now let's think about Desmus for a second, because now everybody's been set free. Everybody, like Everyone that was in Abraham's bosom, which is where people went prior to going to heaven, because heaven was closed. So all the men of faith prior to Jesus dying were not in heaven. But when Christ died, he takes care of business, like he fulfills all things, and the gates come open. And so you can see this line of the saints walking into heaven. It's Abraham, it's Moses, it's Boaz, it's Ruth. It's Jacob, like, name them. Like, they're walking into heaven in lineage of what Christ has done, and guess who's the Lord's companion? Desmas. Desmas. And I can see the angels going, dude, we know Abraham, we know Isaac, we know Jacob. Like, we know all these guys. Like, who is this dude? Who is this dude? And here's what I would think the Lord would say. He's the first of many repentant sinners who have been saved by my grace. Yeah. He's the first of many. And then you can see Desmos going, dude, I'm not worthy of this moment. Like, I'm not worthy of this moment. Like, Lord, I wasted my life. And here's what we know. As hard as this is to accept, when Desmos is on that cross, his hands are tied and so are his feet, like he cannot do anything for the gospel except move his tongue of which he makes a confession that Jesus is Lord. And if we cheapen that grace, we cheapen it, but it is the truth. Like, that's how it works. And so Desmos is like, man, I've I've wasted my entire life. And he's like, well, you didn't waste it all. Like, you didn't waste the last few minutes of it. You didn't race, race this. And so he walks into heaven, and all of the angels explode in eruption. And he's like, why? Like, I can see why for Moses. I can see why for Jacob. Like, I can see why, but why for me? And the Lord just puts his arm around him and says, because did I not tell you that all of heaven rejoices over the repentance of one sinner? Like, this is how this works. Like, this is the God that we love. This is him. And so, man, my question to us is like, man, what is Jesus saying to us now? Like, what is Jesus saying to us at this moment? Like, what is Jesus' sermon to us in this moment? What do you think? Like, what you see is true. This is a deathbed confession. It is the only deathbed confession in the Bible. And man, if I can just push on you for a second, I would say, don't make light of the Lord's grace. Like, don't make light of it. Like, here's the thing. Like, why should heaven not get you? Like, why would you so decide not to put on Jesus and walk through those gates? Because here's the truth of the story. What Jesus does, like he sets us all up for this conversation. He's like, I'm in the middle, and there's Desimus, and there's Gestus, and there's nothing in between. There's nothing in between. It's like, man, I, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one is guaranteed tomorrow. And so my challenge to you is this. I'm like, man, if he is this good to us, Like if he is this good to know from the foundations of the earth that he would go to the cross for you when you have nothing to offer him, why would you take a chance and stay at the gates of hell? Like why would you do that? Like why would you choose not to put on the blood robes of Christ and walk through the gates of heaven with all the rest? Like why would you choose that? And here's the thing, man, like, if you do choose that, then it's on you. Like, it's on you. Like, if you want to be honest, like, here's what I believe the Lord. Like, there have been people contending for you all night. Like, there's been people up since midnight praying for you. That you would hear this message and you would respond to it. That if you woke up this morning and you're standing at the gates of hell, that you would stop. And just like this guy, you would come away from that and you would walk into the gates of heaven. All it is is a free gift that the Lord gives you. But man, to decide nothing is to decide that I am deserving of all that. I'm deserving of all the punishment. Like, I'm deserving of it. Like, when you stand before the Lord, you'll say, man, like, like there was this guy who showed up at this church that I just so happened to go to on on February the whatever, man, and he told me, like, he told me how good you were. Like, he told me what a great friend of sinners you are. Like, he told me, like, how far you're willing to go for me. Because here's the deal, the cross, you are the reason for the cross. I am too. But the cross is also a picture of how far he comes to get us. And that's the beauty of it. And so we look at it and say, yeah, that's mine. I own it. But then you look at it the other way and go, but that's how far my God chases me. Like, that's how far he chases me. And so when you stand in the throne room one day, you'll be like, man, like he told me. And I chose nothing. Like, I chose to get in my car and leave like I chose nothing. And now the eternality of my soul matters. Like, it matters. It matters. Or you take the other approach and you say, you know what? Yeah, this guy came to New City and I just so happened to be there that morning. And I got tired of riding the fence. Here's what I know about riding the fence, man. Like your soul never rests. Like it never rests. Like you're never at peace. I've been there. And what does Jesus say? He says, man, come to me, all of you who are weary. And I will give you that rest you've been looking for. If you know what I'm talking about, you've been there. Like, you know, it's peace beyond all understanding. And so my question to you people who have not put Jesus on, like, only you know, I'm like, what are you waiting for? There is nothing sweeter than him. Cancer may take my wife. He's still sweeter than that. He's sweeter than that. I could be a single dad. He's sweeter than that. Like his faithfulness will not let you down. You want to know something crazy? Like let's watch Jesus' life for two seconds. Here's what Jesus did. He walks in. Peter denies him. But Judas who betrayed him confessed him as innocent. The Sanhedrin, the people that were his, that loved him, at one point, They wanted him dead. But yet the pagan Pilate says he's innocent. All the women that loved him could not get to him. But yet Pilate's wife comes and says, I've had a terrible dream. This man is innocent. And so what I'm telling you is this, is that God will never deny himself. Like even when all of your friends will leave you, the pagans will come and bring you help. Like, that's how he rolls. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Like, I cannot deny myself when he lives inside you. And I'm asking you, like I'm pleading with you, to let him in. To let him in. Not to change Edgerton, but to change you. And to change your home. And to change your legacy on this earth. Like, change it. There is no greater story than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater God who has gone so far to come get us. I am a living testimony to this. Biggest sinner in the room is so looking at him, but there again, the Lord came where there was the most manure, and now was creating the most fruit. And I am not special. I'm not special. And so, man, here's where I leave us today. I'm going old school. I'm like, man, if you want to confess Jesus is the Lord of your life, come to the front. I'm going to pray for us, and when I'm done, like, come up here, and I will pray with you. we got people around that will do the same, but I'm telling you, man, like, if you're too, if you're too scared to do that, the Lord says, man, like, you're, if you're going to deny me now, you'll deny me later, and I'll have no choice but to deny you as well. That's what he says. A loving God without any discipline is not a loving God. He's a sadist, right? But he's begging you through me to come home, to come home. So, man, I'll be on the front row. Come get me. Like, let me pray with you. Man, for you guys who know Christ, contend for their souls. I like, contend for them. Like, people have been on their knees for you guys since midnight, contending for your soul. Let the Lord do his thing, yeah? So, Lord... Father, all we can do is preach your word. Like you do all the rest. You said it's your kindness that draws men and women to you. And so, Lord, it doesn't fall on me, it doesn't fall on the band, it doesn't fall on anything. It's it's you drawing men and women's hearts to you. And so, Jesus, I would ask you right now in the name of your son to draw their hearts to you so that they will learn who they are, that they'll start a new legacy in their life, and that their souls would find rest that their souls would find rest. You said to take our burdens off and to hand them to you and to pick up yours because it's light. And so, Lord, I would ask that in the name of your Son, make this place holy. Forget the numbers if our hearts are far from you. Jesus, I would ask that if their hearts are far, that you would draw them nigh now. Lord, I would ask this in the name of your son. I would beg you in the name of your son for the eternality of their souls, Lord, that they would come to know you and find rest. And everyone in this house said,